Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. Those shadows and backgrounds are just as important as the objects you're seeing because they are what lead the viewer to them. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic tools you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with artist Vicki McGrath. In the conversation, you'll discover what to look for in your shadows to make them more colorful, how to keep your gouache paints a creamy consistency, and where to do your design thinking if you're not into sketching, plus a whole lot more. In the extended cut bonus available to podcast art club members, you'll get great strategies for how to go lighter without getting chalky and how to layer and mix your colors to get that wonderful sense of glow. Take a listen now by joining the podcast art club at any tier and you'll get over 30 additional extended cut bonuses to explore. Plus you'll get access to the monthly group challenge, each designed to help you build practical tools into your art practice. For show notes and to see some of McGrath's work, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 84. I start the interview by asking McGrath how she got started in art. All right, here we go. I started way back when I was a little child. I always had this creative bug and I continued on. If I could take an art, little art class here and there, I would. I had, I was lucky enough to have a babysitter who was an art teacher as well. And she really encouraged me and showed me different things. And so I loved it. And then even through high school, I took classes. When it came time for school, I was kind of discouraged by my family. They're like, don't, you're not going to make any money in art. Don't do it. <laughs> so they scared me off from it. So I ended up going into communications. I still took some art classes, though, in college just because I loved it. Those are still probably my favorite classes from college. Those are the things that I take away from it that I love the most. And then I put it aside and I worked. Didn't love maybe what I was doing. I was just kind of getting by in life and did it. And then I got married, had children. And it was at the time that I was pregnant with my daughter that I decided I was going to paint a big mural in her room. I was so excited about this. Actually, we did not know it was a girl. So I went with this whole like nursery rhyme theme. Absolutely loved it. I just kind of went to town on color and it was so fun. I started getting encouragement from others. They said, you should be painting. You should be doing this. So I knew I was going to stay home with my children. So I decided that this would be a nice little kind of side gig to do. And so I started off doing mural work. My husband would babysit on the weekends while I was doing these murals. And that's kind of how I transitioned that way. So do you feel like that there was a moment where you said, like, I'm going to take this seriously? Or was it sort of a progression? It was more of a progression. I still wanted to be around for my kids. I, you know, we were lucky enough that my husband does pretty well and financially. So we were able to do that. So mine was just kind of a little side gig just to give me, let me dabble in my art and have some fun with it. But really, my priority was still my family at the time. So I progressed slowly, even when they got a little older, 
I started doing, I feel like my art changes, they grew. I always had in the back of my mind, though, that it was kind of a slow transition. As the older they got, the less they needed me around, the more I could do my art, the more I could paint, the more I could explore. So that's kind of how it went. And I should mention for the audience that like, if you go to Vicky's Instagram page, and we'll link to that in the show notes, you'll see acrylic and gouache. And I know you're dabbling in oil right now. So how did you find gouache specifically? So my daughter in 2018 was going away to school. And I was a heartbroken mama. And we went to the Art Institute. I live in Chicago. And there was a John Singer Sargent exhibit going on. It just blew me away. His work is absolutely stunning. All this time, I've been working in acrylics. I mean, when you do mural work, you're primarily working in either acrylics or house paints. And I just, I loved it. I literally, the next week, I'm like, I have to find a watercolor class. I must do it now. So I did. I found one at a local artist guild, signed up, and I learned so much in that class. These local little art guilds and such, you can find some amazing instructors, very talented. My instructor was absolutely amazing. She taught me so much about more than just watercolor. I was doing that for a while, and I love watercolor still. There's so many things about it, but it is a very challenging, very frustrating (laughs) medium as well. Then we started doing a little bit of gouache in there. It just kind of connected. I think it was my experience with acrylics, my experience with even house paint, and then this definitely this experience with watercolor. It all just kind of came together naturally for me. It really was, it just fit my personality. How did you feel like that past experience set you up to sort of just blossom with gouache? Some of the basics, like what every artist talks about that's important, value and a dynamic composition, you know, all of that negative space, blah, blah, blah. You go on and on, right? <laughs> all of those, I've had some knowledge. I've gained it through different mediums throughout the, my life of painting. All of those, I had that knowledge of. There were other things I still, I'm still learning, but they all kind of helped with learning gouache. They all contributed in some way to I now like quick, I feel like very quick learning of gouache. You took classes, some classes in college, but then you were primarily self-taught. Was there anything about sort of walking into a classroom and having formal education again that felt like it helped you leap forward? Definitely. It's scary though. It's always scary going to these classes. I always feel so intimidated, but it was a long time from that initial those college level courses where, I don't know, now I have experience when I was taking them. Back then I didn't and didn't maybe realize some of the things that they were telling me, how important they were. I don't know. It's, I think the experience that I gained on my own and then brought into the class. And then I was like, oh yes, now I see why you're saying that. It clicks. It clicked very quickly for me when I took the classes. Like, yes, now I understand why they've been saying this all this time. And seeing others in the class, having other people in the class doing different things, showing their work, it really did help. That's what I love about learning is that like you could hear the thing a hundred times. Yes. And then you hear it on the hundred and first and you're like, oh, value. That's why that's important. Oh, I still have to remind myself. There's days when I have a painting and I'm like, oh, Vicky, you know, it's the value. You're not dark enough here. Hello. <laughs> What do you love about gouache specifically as a medium? 
I feel like it takes a little bit of every paint medium. It's like the best parts of everything. With watercolor, what I love about watercolor is the freedom of the paint when it gets onto the paper. It just kind of, it paints itself, especially in the first layers. Gouache has a lot of that too. I like, I like to do an initial wash. So there's that freedom of the paint flowing across the paper and I just kind of let it do its thing. And then there is the opaqueness of like acrylics and oils, which I find appealing. I like the creaminess of them. And then there is the reactivity of the paint like there is with oils. You can kind of go in there and fudge a little and soften edges if you want to have those softer edges and areas. You can do that. And then you can transport it easily. It's, I mean, it's so easy to take it on vacation with me. You know, I usually have a little travel palette and then I bring them in their little tubes in a Ziploc baggie and I can just take it all with me. It's easy to do. Pretty easy cleanup. I just feel like it's such a great medium. Well, then on the reverse side, what's tricky about it or what was tricky to learn about it? It dries far darker, at least the light colors dry a lot darker. And I really noticed that when I started doing time lapses for Instagram, I was like, wow, look at how <laughs> look at that color range. It goes from this to that. Like, okay, I have to still sometimes test out a color. I usually have a little sample paper right in front of me of the same paper when I'm working. I'll do a little dab on there if I'm not quite sure then I kind of get an idea. And then the dark colors dry lighter. So at the very end, if you're like, oh, I need to darken those values and you think you have that darker value color and you put it on there and then it dries, you're like, okay, it's exactly what it just was. (laughs) I haven't darkened it at all. So then you have to go back again. So it can be tricky. Well, then for you, how many colors do you generally sort of as an artist work with? My palette has 18 wells. And I have all 18 wells full, but I don't use those every time I paint a particular subject. Usually it ends up being about maybe five to six of those colors. I have the basics. I have a cool yellow, warm yellow. I have a warmer, like yellow orange, and then it goes into orange. And then it transitions into my warmer reds, my cool reds. It's the typical person's color palette where it just kind of goes along that rainbow. But I do feel it's very important to keep that set up in that order, especially with gouache, because they can get messy when you're working with them. And there's a lot of contamination in the wells. So if you have your lemon yellow sitting next to your violet, it's going to turn ugly quickly. And you don't want that with your lemon yellow. So I do keep the color palette in the yellows, and then it transitions in that way. Then the oranges, the reds, the blues, greens, and violets. Then do you lay out fresh color every time? No. I store it in my palette. I use my palette almost every day. So I do have an airtight palette, Magello. That one's great. I spray it a lot. I cannot stress enough how important it is to mist with water the gouache. And almost at the end of my painting for the day, I go to that palette and I I heavily mist those little wells. I want them to be nice and wet so that when I close it up, they're not going to dry out into the little cakes. And at that point, you can get it back. But it's if they get too dry, you just have to say goodbye to that paint. So I do think it's really important to keep them wet. Then when it comes to white, and when it comes to opera pink, and when it comes to maybe a phthalo green, I don't have those in the wells at all, because I'm going to use white on every painting. 
but it can dry quickly. I don't want to have it in the palette drying out. So I keep it out of there and I just squirt a long line of it on my palette to use. Other than that, they're all in the palette staying wet as I need them. And then from that, you'll decide workhorse colors for a particular painting. Yes. If someone is just getting started with gouache, or if, for example, they've signed up for your course on Domestica, which we'll link to in the show notes, what's a good set of colors to get started with? I do love color. I use a lot of vibrant color, but I don't think it's that important to go into all these crazy colors in the beginning, especially. It's more about knowing how the colors mix. I do think maybe it's important to have the cool yellow and a warm yellow, to have a cool red and a warm red, a cool blue and a warm blue, and then like a violet. I like having one in mind just for like extra dark because I don't use black really. I mix my blacks. So I do like to have a really nice dark violet in there along with the dark blues to get some of those darkest darks that I need. And then you definitely want a permanent white. I have zinc white. I don't use zinc white often. For me, also the opera pink. For me, because I use it for the glow of all those fruits that I I tend to use. And I feel like I can get that nicely with the opera pink. But I do think it's best to start off with a simple palette. What do you want in a brush for gouache? Like how soft or how rigid is your brush? My gouache brushes are pretty soft. I use like a watercolor type of brush for them. I use flats, almost the entire painting. Occasionally at the very end, I have this little liner brush that I use for just like teeny little highlights and little, little tiny details. But even then, I don't use that one very often either. I tend to use the edge of my flat brush because it's just better variety of brush strokes. You know, it just makes it more interesting. Sometimes I start off with a giant flat wash brush for water. A lot of people that are watercolors would know just for that background wash. Then I might move to like a one inch brush. And we're talking about like an, maybe an eight by eight inch painting at that point. So then it's a one inch brush through almost all of it. And then I might go down to like a three quarter inch brush. And then I might not use anything smaller. And sometimes the liner, but never really any round brushes, hardly ever. I think because I painted murals for so long, I was painting so large that I got used to painting with large brushes. So even going down to these brushes seems a little bit small for me, you know, and also when I was painting murals, painting children's art, I wasn't getting caught up in a lot of details. It was all about fun and playful color and brushstroke. I think that kind of carried with me with my paintbrushes still. I'm just so used to using larger paintbrushes. What kind of surfaces are good for gouache? What do you paint on? I paint on a cold press, 140 pound cold press watercolor paper. There is hot press, which is smooth. The cold press has those little bitty bumps on it. I like the cold press because I just like the drag of the brush. I like the way the water and the paint just kind of moves across it. And it's, they're different. And then lately, I've been using the Strathmore toned media, multimedia paper. I'm loving that for sketching because it already gives you a mid-tone background to kind of start with. If I'm sketching, I don't have that time as much for that background. So this gives me a jump start. Gouache has different consistencies. Could you walk us through what those are and then also how you use each of them in your process? It starts with that tea. It goes just a little bit, you know, tea, then to milk, and then to cream, and then to more of like almost like a melted ice cream or like an ice cream almost consistency. 
So gouache, for a long time, it was used by graphic artists and comics for like more of a flat type of paint finish. Nowadays, it's becoming more and more of like an artist's material, like fine art. So I like to use it the way I learned watercolor, which is I start with a wash, a background wash. And that is very watery. It's very much a watercolor consistency, which is kind of a tea-like consistency. And it kind of gives me a freedom. Like I start that first layer and just like with watercolor, it kind of paints itself. It's very loose, very loose. I mean, the orange that I'm painting could have like that color completely bleeding out into the background. And I don't care. It's going to get covered later. So it just gives me like a really good starting point. I mean, some people like with oils or whatever, you're doing a background of maybe a burnt sienna or whatever, or ochre trying to get like that mid-tone background. Well, this is kind of that mid-tone background with some value work in it, but it's very light and watercolory. And I usually let it dry, but you don't have to. I then move into more of a milky consistency. So it's just a little bit thicker, a little less water. And then I'll start refining each of the objects. And I usually go from object to object. I think it's probably why I do still life more than anything is I kind of get overwhelmed <laughs> if I have to do too much at once. So at that point, I start with one lemon and I will kind of just look at that lemon and paint that lemon and start refining those values. And with this little bit of a thicker paint, then move on to the next, to the next, to the next. Then after I do all of the objects, I start with the background and I have a little bit of a thicker paint then even, just slightly thicker than that milk, a little bit creamier. I'll start kind of cutting in, getting that negative space that I love so much. And the final layer is the highlights. And those are very, the gouache is very thick. I'm hardly using any water at that point. It's like very creamy. Yeah. And that's pretty much the layering effect that I use. How do you keep the top layers from lifting and blending the lower layers? Is that the thickening up helps with that? Very much. It definitely takes practice and experimenting with gouache. I want people to be encouraged when they're painting with it and not get too discouraged because it does take practice. You know, you just do something simple to start with and start really experimenting with the different consistencies. It's really important. But the thicker you get, the better it is. It's not going to like reactivate as much, especially towards those ends. And heavy, you're laying that paint down and using that paintbrush. Like I am a big fan of you put the paintbrush and you put that paint in there and then you back off in and out, in and out. Don't be dabbling around unless you want to. If you want to, sometimes I want that. I want to blend them. Then that's when I dabble. That's when I start moving my paintbrush around in there. But generally my brush strokes are, I get in, I get out, I get in, I get out. <laughs> That's how it goes. Let's dig a bit more into your process. For that first watercolor layer, how are you approaching your colors and your values for that very first layer? Okay, so I am looking at the local colors. I am not getting too dark at that point. I'm kind of in the, I would say the mid to maybe slightly darker mid-tone values, mostly. If there's a part of the painting that has like, a lemon yellow or a vibrant, vibrant color, I make sure and keep that nice and light, like especially a lemon that then I'll just use my lemon yellow straight up out of the tube practically with some water, of course, and do that part. 
because I want to keep that really vibrant color. A lot of it gets taken away later on, but I want to start off with that color in there. Other than that, it's mostly mid-values and then some darker mid-values. There's not a lot of really dark darks at that point. But you cover the whole painting with that. I cover the whole painting. And I try to get a general ballpark of the color that I'm seeing. Actually, do you save whites? Do you paint over the whites and then bring them back in? Or do you save whites? I don't save whites. I just try to take in mind the lightest lights. Like I said, with that lemon yellow and that orange orange, I just want to make sure those really vibrant light colors are there in that initial wash. But the beauty of gouache over watercolor is you don't necessarily have to save those whites with watercolor. That was always a tricky part for me. That's the hardest part. It's such an important part of that. So you've done the whole thing. Then is that when then you start to focus on an object at a time? Yeah, that's when I start to focus on each of the objects. And I tend to go right towards the center. Like, I guess it is the bullseye. And I start working my way out and around from there. So in your process, you're now working on your objects. What is your goal for this layer? So I'm trying to put those values as closely as I see them at this point. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes it does, and I love that. But I'm trying to look at the lemon. I'm trying to get it as close as I can on that first initial plan. And if it works out really nicely, then I hardly have to do anything to it later. And maybe I won't do anything to it later. So I'll get that first initial value as close as I can. Then I move on to the next object and I keep going that way throughout. What that does is I can decide where I want to focus the most important parts of the painting. So I won't get into those lightest lights at that point. That's far later. That's at the very end. But I am trying to get as close as I can to what I see. At what point do you know you're ready to start bringing darks into your painting? As I do the object, then I am also taking into consideration the shadow. So I consider the shadow really a part of the object as well. Usually I will go from object to object, but I'm also thinking about that shadow. And that's where I start to, once I start working on the shadow, I will start bringing in some of those darker darks too. And every shadow is different. So a lot of people ask me about my color and those certain things, but a lot of my paintings actually focus a lot on the different colors in the shadows and, and the reflective light in the shadows. And so I'm very aware of not all the shadows being the same color. And so then I'm, as I'm putting down, after I've done the objects, I'm moving on to some shadow work and I'm starting to darken up the ones that really have the darkest shadows. That's where you're going to start seeing some of the darkers, darker tones and values coming in. What are you seeing and also looking for in a shadow that maybe a beginner can't see yet, but maybe could start trying to see. So like, it's not just a dark shape, like one solid dark shape. No, there's so many colors in the shadows and in the background of a painting. So usually a lemon or something green, you're going to see some of that color getting reflected, especially if you have a white ground that it's on, you're going to look down and see that shadow is getting reflected from the lemon. So you're going to see some of that in the shadow. It's going to get, so you're not going to have a super cool shadow, although it might get cooler actually as it goes out because the lemon is further away from the shadow now. And so it starts to get cooler. So maybe with the beginner, the biggest problem is, is not taking into consideration 
the colors, the so many colors and values within shadows that can make your painting super interesting. I spend sometimes more time, I think, on the shadows and the background than I do on the objects. And I'm not lying. That's where I tend to really focus a lot of my time. I really want to make sure that I'm getting those right because if I get them too cool against something, it doesn't, I don't like it. I don't like the look of it. So I really focus on those colors within the shadows that you really have to squint to see. After you've got objects and shadows, where do you go next? Then I will do my little cutting out the negative space with the background and the foreground. At that point, I'm covering the entire paper again. From there, I'll start looking around and maybe at that point, I need to refine some of the values or the colors, or I might want to start getting more detailed on specific objects within the painting. And then finally, at that very end, I'm like, I'll look at it. I'm like, okay, what do I want to pop? What are those fun things that I want to really add at the very end to make it like come to life? What are those things you might add at the very end to make it come to life? Usually it's the most, it's the lightest colors, those pops of white. I don't use that very white, white until the very end, or even just very saturated, sometimes lighter colors. At that point, also, I'll look and say, are the darkest values as dark as they should be? And quite honestly, I don't always follow exactly what I'm seeing in front of me and that still life. I mean, I'm the artist. I can do what I want with it. So, and my, I don't consider my paintings to be super duper realistic either. I'm going with these crazy colors sometimes. So if I see something that I want darkened up a little more, then I'm going to do that if I want to draw the viewer's eye to that. So that's what I do. Well, you said you spend a lot of time on the background too. What are you doing in those backgrounds? Like what makes those so enjoyable for you? Well, I don't know if they're enjoyable. They're actually, <laughs> they become the most stressful part for me. I don't know why. Me in particular, I just don't like a really flat background to my paintings. I want to have a lot of fun brush stroke in there. So I'm really trying to think about what colors I'm seeing in that background. Like, yeah, that blue over there is a cool blue. This blue over here is a warmer blue. And I'm thinking about a lot of that. And then if I'm going around an apple, I'm going to maybe take my brush stroke and really bring that brush around that object and make the viewer's eye go right to that apple, just using that one brushstroke that curves right around the apple. I feel like that background is also a very important part. Those shadows and backgrounds are just as important as the objects you're seeing because they are what lead the viewer to them. And sometimes I don't get it right. I, I can get all the way through a painting. And then at the very end, I get super stressed out over these backgrounds. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. There's always something comforting about hearing an artist that is highly skilled and very accomplished also still gets stressed out. There's something I mean, like, I wish none of us got stressed out, but there's something comforting about hearing like, oh, okay, that also happens to you. Yeah, all the time. I think we're always hard on it. It doesn't matter what level you're at. You're always the hardest on yourself. How long did it take you to find a repeatable process? And then what did finding a repeatable process give you? I think with gouache, it took a good year or so. And every, you know, each medium, I think I've picked up maybe a little more quickly on what I need to do. Gouache came pretty quickly to me. And yeah, I'd say about a year. And then I was like, you know, I love the way this artist does this, but it doesn't really translate to gouache. Or, like, I love Teddy Parker's stuff. I love, I love you, Teddy. <laughs> and I love the way she cuts out those objects and the way Carol, Carol Marine does it. And it works to an extent really well with gouache. 
but I found myself still needing to put in that first wash of a background. And that's different with like with gouache, I can do that. It just, it just took a while. And now I'm still experimenting. Now I feel like I'm at a point where I'm pretty comfortable with the process, but I want to try other things to add to that process just to change. Was it important for you to find the process first so that then you could expand from it? I think the most important thing still is just learning the medium and learning what it does, what, because each medium is so different and people get very frustrated with gouache because it is, it's different. You know, even you might've learned it a little in college if you were an art, fine art degree, but a lot of people haven't. And so they don't know what to expect with it. And I do think it's a lot of experimentation with the actual medium first, then start getting comfortable with what process works. Maybe for you, it's just going on with one color at a time. No, you know, starting off with a white background, which I did. I started off with just a white background. And I found for me, I just didn't like, it wasn't as loose of a feel for me. And I missed the watercolor background. I missed that. And so all of a sudden, when I started experimenting and trying that, I was like, wait, I, I love that first wash. Now there's endless possibilities right here in front of me. Whereas with the white paper, it wasn't there. Like I was like, oh my gosh, it's a white paper. But with the wash, I was like, oh wait, I can do this, that. I love that first wash. I love it. Endless possibilities right there. Do you pre-mix your colors before you start a painting or do you mix as you go? I primarily mix as I go. Gouache, it does dry pretty quickly. You can keep misting it and you should. Even if you have like your little puddles of paint on your palette, just a light one. You can take a little mister bottle and just one light mist on it to keep it so that it's still movable and able to paint with it. But I will start off with like a couple of colors mixed up already. Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to start with the orange on the paper. So I'm going to mix a couple of those colors up so I can just kind of get my groove going right away. Then after that, I'm just mixing as I go most of the time. But I have some of that basic palette out there. And usually if I'm mixing those colors, I'm working with those. I'm constant. I'm taking part of that color, adding to it with another color to mix the next value. So it's there, but I'm mostly mixing as I go. Let's say you have a, like you're working on an orange. And so you have a puddle of the orange. Do you darken that puddle or do you pull some of that puddle aside and adjust that? Pull some of it aside, you know, because it can be messy otherwise. And in fact, the other thing I should bring up is have a roll of paper towels or to, I mean, I use paper towels and maybe, you know, you can use a towel or whatever, but you are going to be cleaning that palette often. I mean, especially if you are going from a blue vase to an orange. Yes, you want to have some of the muted colors, but you do not want a big old mess. Gouache can get a little bit messy. So be prepared, just like with watercolor, really, you're going to be spraying and cleaning the palette a lot. It's habit for me now. I do it all the time. You know, I never thought about this, but I think about like, there's a pacing in a painting, but there's also a whole other pacing that's happening on the palette. Yes. It's a routine. Once you're using a particular medium, I think for a long time, you try to find all the shortcuts you can or the things that are just going to become natural. It's going to be part of your routine, just like a routine in your day. You know, you go to the gym in the morning or whatever. Well, when I get my paints out, I set them up. They're all set up the same way. I spray them out. I usually, a lot of times that's when I'm going to maybe clean my palette or I'm going to stir up the paint and get it a little creamier again. And then I want everything to look 
perfect. And then I start painting. So there's a routine there. And that's why I like, not just because you don't want the integrity of your paints getting all dirty and muddied, but also because I know where my yellow is. I know where my red is. It's just innate in me now. I know where to go for it. How often are you changing a color? Like when you lay a brush stroke down, every time you lay a brush stroke down, are you changing that color or will you go back in with the exact same color a couple of times? I change it a lot. But in the beginning, I have learned that I want to start off with some bigger shapes of color because it can get a little confusing if you start changing that color way too much. I can always go back over. That's the beauty of gouache. You can't go over it. The one thing to also remember, though, is with gouache, you're probably not going to ever, it's going to be really hard to get that exact color again. Like, it's just because it dries so differently than what you're putting down. I'm pretty good at it now. I get pretty close, but I doubt I'll, I wouldn't ever get exact. So I am thinking about bigger shapes in the beginning when it's a more of a tea and a milk-like consistency. I can do those bigger shapes with one color. But as I progress, I'm really moving around with different values as I go. And it's really changing. It sometimes brushstroke to brushstroke. You made a comment that you mix up to get the, your gouache soft again. Could you talk to me more about that? Gouache, it starts to dry out. Even, you know, if I don't use it for a few days, which doesn't happen often, I, use, I do try to get into it every day. But if I don't, it starts to kind of get crusty around the edges or it's dirty. It's been contaminated by another color. That is very common with gouache. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I got some white in my red. And I'm like, well, just take like your palette knife or take toothpick or whatever. Just sweep it in there and get that little bit out. It's really easy. And a little bit of contamination is not going to really affect it overall. Maybe with lemon yellow, if you're worried about it with that type of color, keep that out of your palette well. You just pull it out when you need it. But then what happens, it starts to thicken up. It's starting to dry up. So I get my little mister out and I spray it all heavily. And this is typical for me to do every, I'd say once a week. I'll take the palette knife again, or I'll take a shish kebab skewer. Those are common. And I will just stir them up. I'm remixing them, getting them creamy again. And then I'm going to douse them with spray. And if I need to add any paint in, some fresh paint, I will put that in there and I'll stir that up with it and get it nice and creamy again. And then I'm going to spray it with some more water just to say, okay, you're good to go. And I'll move all the way down the palette doing that. Do you do any sketching or like planning work or thumbnail work before you start a painting? Yeah, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I am so impatient. So I am thinking about it though. When I am, I'm very aware of it when I'm setting up my still lives. I'm thinking of everything. And I do take photos of my still life. I usually work from life. I try to. I don't always, but I try to most of the time actually work from life. But what I do do is I'm thinking about all of the things that I know I need to think about that are important to me. Like I do follow the rule of thirds a lot with the break it down into two lines, you know, the thirds, break it down into thirds on your painting. So I'm thinking about those sweet spots on the painting that I kind of want some of the focal point to go. So I'm thinking about that. I am thinking about where the darkest darks are, where the lightest lights are. I'm thinking about any diagonals I can bring into the painting to make it more dynamic. So I'm thinking about all of that. You know, I'm setting my still life and I think I might have it and then I'll take a picture. And I usually work in squares and I've always, it's not just because of Instagram. I just always like circles and squares. So 
So that just worked out nicely for me with Instagram. But I'm always taking pictures and cropping it down into squares and looking around and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. I have a viewfinder too. But for me, I find that just taking pictures works best because I sometimes if I get frustrated with painting and I don't want to work out anymore that day, I'll stop and then I can come back to it later and I have a photo of it too. So I am thinking about all that when I'm setting up my still life, but no sketching. That's the perfect segue into still life or setups. Do you have a mental checklist that you go through when you're setting up a still life? I am thinking about color palette, of course, because there's just such an array of color palettes out there that you can put into a painting. And I, in particular, love the tertiary colors. I do do like some primaries, but I love like the yellow oranges, the citrons, the teal blues. Like I just love those colors. And not that I don't use the primaries. Like I said, I still have an apple in there, but I guarantee almost all of my paintings, you're not going to find just primary colors in there or even secondaries. You're going to probably find some some of those tertiaries, those like the yellow oranges, I'm drawn to them. So I'm looking for those when I'm doing the setup. I'm also looking for interesting shadows. The object is important, but the shadow for me is just as important. It's kind of part of the object. So I'm trying to find something that has some of that reflective light in it. Some really cool little like reflection coming, popping down into the shadow. I just find those super fascinating. And then of course, lately it's been all about glassware and seeing things through glass and seeing all those fun little highlights. And then I have, you know, one of my clients wants me to add a lot of pattern work and I do do that sometimes too. So sometimes I'm putting that in and pattern is a whole nother ball game. Like you really have to pay attention to what pattern you're putting with your still life to not make it take over the painting. How are you thinking about shapes when you set up a still life? Definitely a variety. I'm thinking a lot about the negative space too. I love cropping way, way, way down. Rarely are you going to see the entire still life without some of it being cropped out of that painting. I love focusing way in, zeroing in, and really focusing on the objects and the shadows. And some of that other stuff to me is just unimportant. So, and I don't, like I said, the backgrounds stress me out sometimes. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to like not have a ton of background really get into the objects. So rarely will you see an entire, the actual object with any, nothing getting cut off. I just find it to be more interesting. Are the colors that we see in your final paintings, the colors that were in the still life setup? Generally, yes. Of course, I'm going to make them maybe more saturated or vibrant, but they are the colors that are in the still life setup. Most of the time, there might be an occasion where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I actually ended up liking that color after all. And in which case, Another thing about gouache is you actually can do a little bit of erasing, I would say. It's similar to watercolor in that you can take your brush, a very clean brush, very clean water, clean paper towel, and you can do a little bit of that scrubbing to remove some of the gouache. If it starts getting too heavy or you don't like that color, you can do that. You just have to be aware of what quality paper. I think it works very well with like the cold press paper. With the sketchbook paper, the multimedia, probably not so much. Well, then you talked about shadows being important. How do you set up your lights so that you have good shadows? So I have a, it's a nice little artist light that I got on Amazon. I don't think it was probably 30 to 40 bucks, maybe. It has different 
temperatures on it. Usually it's the daylight one that I use on there, but then there's also a warmer one. I use the warmer one when I'm, a lot of times when I'm painting lemons, because I just like them to look that nice warm yellow more so. But I am moving it around constantly. I'm like, I'll shift it to here. And I'm like, eh, no. And then I'll shift it around again. And then I'll say, oh, wait, now I see that fun little reflection coming through the through the vase and it's popping right to where I want everything, everybody to look. So boom, I found a good spot. I'm very aware of shadows. Very, very aware of shadows. Do you think working from life has allowed you to see more dynamic things in shadows than if you were just working from photos? Possibly. I do think that photos definitely have a place. Like I really rely on them if later on, if I'm, like I said, if I've given up on a painting and I just like, or if the light has changed somehow in my place, but working from life is just a little more freeing to me. I'm not so like caught up in trying to replicate the photo, but if I have a photo, I'm really focused on trying to replicate it. And I end up getting very tight and I get sometimes too dark. How much time do you spend setting up your still life before you get to painting? Some days I don't get to the painting because I cannot seem to find the right still life. Like it's, and I'm not joking, it's crazy. Sometimes I'm like, I give up. It's just not happening today. But, and then I'll do a sketch and that's it. And I'm fine with that. But it takes a while. I have like a, one of those packets from Michael's with the different square colors, whatever they are, the different colored papers. I'm popping those under. I have my little white foam core thing that I'm putting behind it. I'm trying, sometimes I don't use that at all. Sometimes I do. I mean, it goes all over the board. I'm, tr- I'm trying different things. But the great days are when I, I kind of envision it before I've even done it. And I, I see something I really, really, really want to paint. And it's like, I see it before I even set that up. And those paintings come together so nicely. I love when that happens, which is not often, but when it does, it's just, it's just a great day, you know? Well, actually, yeah. Cause you've mentioned on Instagram that composition ideas sort of float around in your mind. They do. Could you talk about like what that looks like? It's sometimes I will just see, maybe I'll see another painting on Instagram and ours is done. I'm like, oh, I have to paint lemons now. And then I'm like, ooh, what if I put them with, I have this beautiful vase. And, and then as soon as I see it, and then I'll take the picture and I look and I'm like, wait, this, this is a good one. Something about it just really stands out and I'm super excited to paint it. And I don't know, it's like, it, it's in my mind and it just kind of, comes out naturally. I love when that happens and it does not happen a lot. And sometimes I think it's going to happen and it doesn't happen. What does the still life need for you to be like, okay, I'm ready to paint this? Is it a feeling? Is it like the checklist all marks off? Like what does that look or feel like to you? Probably a little bit of both. I do want to make sure that I'm hitting those, you know, that kind of that rules of third. Although my husband always says rules are made to be broken. So Sometimes I try to keep that in my mind that Vicky, you don't always have to follow the rules. I've always been a rule follower, <laughs> but it is the rule of thirds, the dynamic angles coming into the center. I love a lot of that. I love really good shadow work. I like things getting cut off. So I'm really, I am thinking about a lot of that. And sometimes I see it and then I'll take a picture and I crop it down and I'm like, it just, I can just see like the great potential with that particular setup. I just see it. It's like, oh, I set this one up really well. (laughs) Give myself a pat on the back. Good job. Does that mostly feel exciting or does that ever feel scary? Like, oh no, I set up the perfect still life. You know, usually exciting. And then 
it usually gets scary when I start getting more into the detail work, not the final detail, but that the value details. And then I'm like, Oh, don't mess this up. It's going so well. Don't do too much. And a lot of times that is what I'm fighting against is doing too much. My favorite instructor from my watercolor class, she really drilled into me, get in, get out, get in, get out. Don't dabble in there, just let it go. And that is extremely important with watercolor. And also I think with gouache is you, you lay it down. If you start fiddling, you're going to lose those wonderful brush strokes that I want. And that's where I get tight. So I put it down and then I, mm, I have to fight to leave it alone. And then later after I'm going into the third layer to refine it, then I really am looking at it saying, okay, do I need to do anything with that? You know, I'll step back and I'm like, okay, does that look good right now? I don't even need to do anything there. So I leave it. That's when it gets a little scary because I don't want to overdo a painting. And if I do, then I'm like, ugh, <laughs> I hate that. Well, then if someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice do you give them? Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> take any courses. Like, I mean, I'm not plugging my ear off. I think take any courses. I am still learning. I'm still taking online courses. I'm taking a course here in the city. I don't ever consider myself not learning how to get a little better or learn something new. So constantly putting yourself out there and learning, reading books, like it, there's so much, there's just a wealth of information out there that wasn't there a long time ago when I was young trying to do this. It's everywhere now, but really it, you just have to practice. I think a lot of people in the beginning want to, they want to start with a gouache and they want to make this masterpiece right away or they want to do this really detailed painting and I'm like no 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 start with like a circle or if that's too boring then do like an apple but do one item and just experiment with that and before you even do that experiment with some of the fun things you can do like the textures of dry brush and the wet and wet and just play with it that's all you want to do in the beginning is just play with it you can learn more about Vicki McGrath at her Instagram, instagram.com slash Vicki McGrath art and on her website and at Domestica. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Vicki. Thank you so much, Kelly. I loved it. I love talking about art. So it, this was so fun and you are just fabulous. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? Take a screenshot and share it on Instagram stories. Tag me at learn to paint podcast so I can say thank you. Podcast Art Club members, your extended cut bonus with McGrath is live on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes at learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 84. In the extended cut bonus, you'll get great strategies for how to go lighter without getting chalky and how to layer and mix your colors to get that wonderful sense of glow. Take a listen now by joining the Podcast Art Club at any tier. Plus, you'll get access to monthly group challenges each designed to help you build practical tools into your art practice. Head to patreon.com slash learn to paint podcast and sign up at any tier to join. Thank you to everyone over in the podcast art club. You make this show possible. Extra shiny thank yous to High Gloss supporters, Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Pam Lyle, and Slow River Studio. Happy painting.